Welcome to Woven, Stories of Feminine Becoming. I am your host, Sarah Basha. I invite you to join me to listen to the stories of fascinating women of all backgrounds, places, and ages who have been on their own hero's journey, who have transformed and returned with the fire, their own. May these conversations be an invitation to listen to your own intuition and calling, explore the path less traveled, and discover that on it, even if unique, we are never truly alone. I am honored to be here with you today. Welcome and thank you, Imogen, for joining us on Woven, this podcast about the feminine becoming. I'm truly honored and excited for people to discover you and your world. We met many years ago, 2014 it must have been, uh, when I was on the artist residency in motherhood. This residency during which six months I connected with other mother artists and went on my own journey of connecting to art. Um, and I really am grateful for that moment because there was a kind of a tight knit group in that first uh, group where everyone was really helping each other out. And you had at the time very long hair in this, um, what do you call it? The weaving you know, machines where you were weaving and Brighton near the ocean um, and you just had this mysterious energy to yourself that was really enticing and, and also very much mother energy. So this is where we met and over the years we've from afar supported each other. You've always been very supportive of everything that I do and I've noticed that you do this with everyone. You really are a cheerleader in many different communities that you're part of. Um, but I think like many women, you are more discreet. You're this kind of beautiful presence. And so I'm grateful that you're coming out and sharing your voice today with the audience and whoever listens to this whenever they do, because you have a lot to say and a lot to share. So thank you for trusting me and for, yeah, joining me. Thank you for having me, Sarah. It's a great honor to share this time with you. And we have such beautiful conversations. Um, and I, I really am grateful for your suggestion that we have one of our conversations for the record. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's true. And, um, and I should say that my intention was, you know, you follow the you always have a plan in life and then there's the reality and both of us are very intuitive and so we listen to that intuition both of us also share a very physical kind of experience where we feel energy in our bodies um and in different ways and maybe we'll talk about that a little bit in our conversation today but we had intended to meet and to record before but then the eclipse opened up and my intention was to put out an episode under the new moon but um yeah the universe the cosmos goddess decided the timing would be today and it feels so beautiful because today is friday in this middle point between the eclipses friday the day of the goddess and we are both on shore and here to to talk so for those who don't know you uh, and i'm sure there's lots that don't know you can you tell us a little bit 
about where you come from, where you are, you know, calling in from today and what you do today, what that looks like. Yeah, so I am calling in today from the south coast of England, um, from Brighton. Um, and I currently live on top of a, a hill overlooking the valley. So the sun is really beautiful today and it's a very beautiful autumn day. And just before Halloween, you know, everything starts to smell in a particular way. So yeah, I'm really feeling the season. Um, what can I tell you about myself? Uh, I'm a twin. I am a Cancerian with a Pisces moon. So a lot of my feeling is um, just my intrinsic nature. Um, I feel everything very deeply and I care very much. Um, so in my artwork, I, I came to weaving after I became a mom. Um, for the second time, um, I realized I had to shift my practice. Um, and I had a career before that in sort of fashion and costume. And I'm also a Roman Gypsy. So I, a lot of my current work and my arts commissioning has been specifically through me claiming my heritage. And so, yeah, I'm interested to see what comes through today, what we speak on today. Um, so yeah, I, I guess that's kind of me right now. If, if that feels enough <laughs> more than enough so you speak of your ancestry I'm curious at what point or in what stage of your life or what sparked this um, interest in reconnecting with your your heritage because it is one you know we often think of the Romani people as being of eastern Europe or you know the Middle East even but not so much England or the northern countries so I'm kind of curious at what point in your own journey that claimed itself or reclaimed yeah really quite recently um I have a very deep uh spiritual life uh and I think that runs in tandem with my just my emotional disposition it, it's sort of the spiritual world has always been very real to me and present and um, I experienced a, a hysterectomy when I was 35. Um, I was incredibly unwell with a condition called PMDD, which is premenstrual dysphoric disorder. And I'm basically allergic, allergic to my own estrogen. And um, it, was, it was making me very ill. So I, I had a hysterectomy in December, 2018. And my youngest son was two at the time. And it was during the recovery over that new year that I, I got the spiritual uh, mm. guidance, <laughs> you know, the message that it was time to start looking um, into my hidden ancestry that had only been hidden for a generation. But I think what I'd like to share is that anything that is hidden without your consent, um, for whatever reason, it has to come up for healing. It, it doesn't really matter the context. Um, there's no attachment to why it happened, but that it that it happened and that it was then given to me um, as a as a direction, really, that I would be the person in my family to take on that role. But it it was incredibly specific to 
me crossing that threshold into into menopause and I, I went through menopause very quickly it was a matter of months um, so I've been completely hormone free for um, four years now um, and so there was something about crossing that threshold that gave me well I, then I was given the permission and, and it was very clear from one of my grandmothers in the spirit that you have to look now and I, I'm still figuring out what it was about becoming this other thing this this menopausal young mother that was was the correct uh space for me to then take on this enormous amount of work and mm -hmm. um, to find uh, all my family my cousins um claim my heritage be strong in it and able to speak on it to deliver it to my mom who's in her 80s now and all my cousins you know that I grew up with and my my um, extended family and really for myself um, and I know you mentioned earlier you know I, I do cheerlead other people and that's always part of my disposition I I see the strength in supporting others um, for their own self-actualization and then for my own it's it's been you know i i now i now know who i am ethnically uh i have a spiritual inheritance i have a cultural inheritance and so the british romany families um have a very specific heritage and history and and we are really related um and there's some very specific time periods i can i can speak into around when we arrived in england but we, we came out of India um, in sort of between the fourth and the sixth century after Christ. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we've walked a very long way. Mm -hmm. um, so to be able to speak as a gypsy person, as, as a Romany woman and a mother, it's, um, it's, it's just, it's been a, such a profound experience. I'm going to spend the rest of my life integrating it. Um, and sharing it as much as I can, because um, I think the Romani community are so misunderstood, um, and that has a lot to do with uh, things outside of our control. But um, to be able to control how I how I speak about my experience is a huge gift. So you were describing um, how you reconnected with your ancestry and how in a sense that wasn't really expected. I wonder what that has brought you, what, and you know, and you're saying that it'll take a life to integrate what it is, but what do you think given that moment was very challenging physically and emotionally, um, what do you think that that has brought you? Oh, so much. It's, it's so multifaceted. So as we're using our voices, I'll, I'll bring it back to something to do with voice and voice as a, as a placeholder for self-expression and also self-actualization. You know, we're all here on earth embodied. And um, I think a lot of my life has been trying to understand what that means. And now I have this cultural, ethnic, racial quotient that is out 
rather than it being suppressed and hidden and assimilated and broken and dislocated you know all those horrible words I I felt that without understanding what it meant but with voice I am um, I started storytelling uh, around yeah 20 2014 2015 and doing puppetry and I realized my voice lacked strength I I couldn't project I felt unsure of my own voice and so I sought out um, speech therapy and a vocal coach and my vocal coach was incredible and, and very early on she saw how I struggled emotionally with conveying my feelings in speech and telling a story and and I really needed that interface to just communicate you know communication everyone talks about communication as sort of technology but our, our original technology is our voice uh, and our different ways of expressing but but the, the vocal cords and um the energy behind what we say and the words we say in language and she said to me you know you, your authentic voice is in some way damaged it's wounded because there's no strength behind it. There's no, it's like you're so uh, fragmented that it's really hard to actually uh, command anything with your voice. And, and we spent a lot of the sessions, you know, with me emotionally processing what had happened to my authentic voice. Did I ever feel I had one? And these came through in sort of therapeutic ways um, of speaking, but also in terms of accent. I'm, I'm originally from the West Midlands. Um, my original accent is a lot different to the voice I use today. Some of that was conscious, some of that was unconscious in my teens. And taking me back um, to a place where I could say, you know, my original voice was wounded for many different reasons. And in order to be an effective storyteller and communicator and just an effective, you know, fully rounded human, to be able to communicate effectively starts with the power behind the words that you say, the power behind um, the voice that you're using. And, and I include my artistic voice in that, not always my actual voice and also my written work as well forms part of my voice. And I think I've been on this sort of journey of rehabilitation to find my authentic voice as an arts practitioner and as a mother. Um, and then once I'd got to a place, it somehow was safe enough for the, all this spiritual ancestral information to come through. And, and I think having crossed that, that threshold through menopause and into, you know, cronehood, whatever that means, whatever that looks like, it is a very specific experience, but I would find it quite hard to uh, articulate that at the moment. But how do I speak from an authentic voice in the experience that I'm having now and bring all of those parts along with me? And there was something about, you know, you're an artist, you're a mother, you, you're a storyteller in whatever way that comes through you, but also you're our family's representative in that way um in the cultural way and so I felt this enormous weight of the matriarchs kind of behind me 
Um, and then behind them, the archetype of, of the dark goddess. Um, and I've worked with, with the Slavic uh, dark goddess slash naughty witch, Baba Yaga, for quite a long time. And um, I realized that she, in her primordial state, is, is this aspect of matriarchal goddesses called, well, Baba Yaga in, in sort of Romanes adjacent, Yog or Yag is fire. So I call her grandmother fire. And really she is uh, Kali. Um, but she's also Keglin, who is quite an unknown Siberian mother goddess. Um, so I don't know how these things work in, you know, other dimensions. All I can say is that when the timing is right and we've done enough work, that is just enough to get us through that door, <laughs> that threshold, then the tasks are made known to us and and however we listen into those ancestral voices um and whatever signs we're looking for um this is why knowing your in internal landscape is really important because if you you know spirit, spiritual practice doesn't just switch on and off like a like a light switch it's constant and i think if you if you make any kind of commitment to um initiation, threshold work, um, you will be called to it. And if you're not serious about it, well, it takes you seriously. So it's not a, a contract you can renege on, mm. nor should you. And yet you've got to have some kind of deep internal strength to um, navigate it all. Because the, the other side communicates in in a very different way and I feel most of my artwork is actually about me trying to interface my greater experience in the spirit with my embodied experience here on earth I'm I'm not very tethered to this dimension so I find my artwork um does that for me it grounds me and it speaks for me um but then I'm speaking for my ancestors also so we're in a continuum Sarah there's this idea that we're independent solitary individuals is is a, a myth of of being human oh my goodness you've said so many things that have you know peaked like connections and and also resonated um I was I think I shared last week or a few days ago uh, whether it was, I don't know, in my WhatsApp group that I have the weekly astro forecast or on Instagram, I said, it's not what you do or say, but how it's that tone of voice, you know, it's that, that vibration, energetic, but also of sound that we emit when we say no, you know what I mean? Like, it's very different when, like, it's, it is understood very differently in the sense differently with the tone not the you know lifting your hand can mean so many things but the way you do it is what will create the meaning you know give it the the power so i i resonate with that because i was realizing that myself actually i now know it came to me as a download um so i'm not a i have a very strong pisces 
uh, my Mercury is in Pisces. So I, my, the way I connect to the other realms or to, you know, my mystical language comes from that Mercury. So, you know, you have that in a kind of embodied experience because of your, it's rising, right? Rising Pisces or? I'm a, now a Pisces moon. I'm a Cancer sun and a Pisces moon. Yeah. So very intuitive energies, right? Because Cancer is ruled by the moon and Pisces is all those it's the, the oneness of all. In fact, at the moment, we have a lot of Pisces energy and we've been navigating that for the last couple of years. And we won't be um, experiencing that again until 2034. So it's a beautiful time to have you speak of that sense. The lessons usually also with Pisces is having to learn to have boundaries, to actually discern, you know, discernment. There's something else, I'm just gonna have a sip of my water. Mm -hmm. My voice is asking me to slow down. <clears throat> There's something else that's so beautiful and powerful that you speak of is this sense of temporality and connection, not necessarily to the all, but like you're to own to your own ancestors and how you know they they things appear to us and connections to our past appear to us so that we have strength, so that we form our voice, but also that we be their voice and that we heal not only ourselves, but also our ancestors. And I think that is so beautiful because I think the Romani have carried so much prejudice and misconceptions and really have been pushed to be hidden, you know? And I think we are hopefully in a time where, you know, through different people's struggles, bringing these stories to light so that we can we can see them. I was reading just this week about um, a Romani group that is part of Kosovo. And it was interesting because they are originally from Egypt, so not from India, but it's possible the Ashkali people. Mm. And there too, they were describing how there's so much misconception about who they are and how, again, to lead to this idea of the darkness, they were they had a they were there was a term used to denote them which was the 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 dark ones the black ones mm -hmm. now they really only have just darker hair than the kosovar people uh, but even with that simple like the black hair they were being prejudiced and you know have um people just didn't understand who they were coming from i don't know the timeline the historical sense it was really it's part of a project to um create greater peace in the Balkans and so they highlight different communities and the the ways that we are interconnected but I think there's this idea too of the dark you know the black the the mm -hmm. hidden being something that we subconsciously have been afraid of and yet that is where for women and I mean the feminine whatever that means is where our power lies right it's not in the the moon as an energy that is feminine the only energy in astrology that is feminine with venus is in nighttime you know the moon i mean she's there all day but we connect to her only in that nighttime only in that dark so um, yeah so a lot of things that you're saying are, are resonating can you tell me a little bit more about baba yaga yeah connect her with fire because that fire is also part of like the Lilith archetype and that story of the fire that you know we got punished for connecting with mm -hmm. um but yeah what is Baba Gaya to you and 
what does she evoke? What are the stories? What would you like to hear? Yeah. Oh, oh, she's she's invited. She she's such a force in my life. Um, and I'll just before I start speaking for Baba with Baba to Yaga, to Baba. Um, the whole context with this. So so I um, I'm an alchemist. I've studied alchemy. And in the therapeutic world, I have a Jungian framework. Also, I've been reading tarot since I was quite young. So my relationship with, with the goddess and as the dark goddess, um, specifically now as I get older, and she makes herself known to me, I think that is wisdom unfolding. Mm-hmm. Um, we can talk about her in alchemy as the primal matter, the first mother or the black substance. And, and it has to do with coming out of the void and darkness. And um, Baba Yaga's story speaks to that specifically. It's an alchemical story that has been layered underneath a folk story, maybe slightly uh, sidestepped into patriarchal speaking through the voices of storytellers of sort of the 1700s, 1800s. Um, that whole grim kind of ar- archiving was done from a very different perspective. Although Baba's story has been preserved, and and like all good stories, it's a lesson and it's it's a wisdom teaching that is uh, like like a parable of Christ. It's it's a, a moral lesson, but it's also a magical lesson. All Christ's parables are magical. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, as an animist, mm-hmm. can be understood. You know the animals that are invoked in Christ, the lamb lion um we can look at, at, at christian early christian gnostic folklore as equally as rich and valid um as as this m- older iteration this this more um land-based um primeval character so baba baba i always have a smile on my face when i talk about baba because she and I have had such a turbulent relationship. So I, I first was gifted the story by a, an amazing storyteller who's now resident on Ibiza called Joanna Ruby. And I was, it was such a liminal, it was literally a liminal space. So I was studying art therapy um, in London uh, to get myself through a, a breakdown, really. I sort of took it upon myself to learn the methods of healing whilst I was in the process. in that space so I was doubly processing I was in therapy I was learning therapy I was going to workshops and Joanna um hosted an event called liminal space in a, an, a derelict uh laundromat in North London and it was a, a storytelling and lino printing workshop and I turned up and I wasn't in my best you know state I was in deep in process I had this big green scarf on and I and I just thought, okay, I'll, I'll go, go to receive and explore. Um, but I might not, you know, I don't know what's going to come. Mm. And Joanna took us downstairs in the laundromat and she'd made this nest of drapery and low lights and um, cardboard um, imagery, images, um, you know, and, and I love folk art and Joanna you know, I, I talk about it with, you know, a capital F. I, I don't ever want to be dismissive about folk art because it actually takes us back to our roots. So 
Joanna performed and, and told and delivered and gifted me the story of Baba Yaga and Vasilisa the Brave. And that story gave me so much. It was uh, a sort of Cinderella adjacent, you know, the wicked family of the world want to get rid of her, misunderstand her. She's this sort of spiritual orphan. And Baba is the child eating witch in the woods. And the family want Vasilisa to be, you know, dispatched of. They don't want to do the dirty work themselves, but they'll they'll send that in, they'll send the innocent golden child, Vasilisa, into the den of Baba, and Baba will deal with it for her, for them. But you see, that's the naivety of unprocessed people is that the contract in the spirit world doesn't run like it does in this world. And I, I spent five years being absolutely terrified by Baba. She became a, an archetypal force. She would get, I would get nightmares. She would appear to me. She was coming through all my artwork. She was coming through my body, you know, pain and distress. And, and I saw my mother in her. I saw my grandmother in her. And I drew her um, and spoke with her. And I could see the wounded aspects of my mother line in that, my mom, my grandma. I did a lot of work just kind of being with her, not really knowing how to communicate with her at that point, other than she was pretty fierce. Um, not always angry, um, mm. but I, I just stuck with her and I drew her and I wrote her poetry and I, I embodied her in ways for a while. And then after I had my children and I started doing some puppet theater, which is where the voice work came in actually, it was, it was the same time. Mm -hmm. um, I realized I had the invitation to retell her story, not retell it. And, and I know there's a lot of popularity at the moment to kind of take traditional stories and, um, you know, explore gender identity within them or all of these things it wasn't it wasn't like an obvious conscious um device it was all folk stories and people need to know this all folk stories if they come to you and work through you and with you for a period of time you may want to tell that story with your own voice and it adds to the lineage of that story so there's a lot there's a lot going on there but I was invited to retell the story. And what I realized is that Baba wanted to explain to people that she is, a, first of all, a primordial goddess, second of all, very maternal. Mm -hmm. And she was apprenticing this girl. And that the people that had, had pushed Vasilisa out of the house wanted Vasilisa to bring back fire to them because the house had gone cold in the winter. But really they thought by doing that, it would result in Vasilisa's murder. When in other folk stories, Vasilisa is called the soul of the world. So this golden child is actually incredibly symbolic and significant and, and the forces of the world, which would quite like her not to exist, put, put her in danger. 
but only they misunderstand the primeval force of Baba Yaga and what she actually is. And it's only through initiation and conversation and experience that you understand she's on your side and the world isn't. And in order to be effective in speaking whatever comes through you, in being an artist, a writer, however, Baba's, she's a muse, but not in the, in the objectification, you know, idea of, oh, a muse comes and goes. Baba's like, she's got you for life and she works through her daughters and we become her daughters. So Vasilisa goes to the hut of Baba Yaga asking for fire on behalf of her family who wished to ostracize her. And so Baba knows that some somehow her energy is trying to be usurped she's trying to be used and this girl in front of her is is innocent and so she she takes Vasilisa into this this in, informal apprenticeship and the informal apprenticeship is alchemical because Baba asks Vasilisa to sort and sift poppy seeds from soil and, you know, the soil is the prim primal matter, is her, is the black goddess, and the poppy seeds is the medicine or the poison, depending on how it's administered. Mm -hmm. Even today, opium is, wars are fought over opium. Mm -hmm. So this is like some very deep women's wisdom here. And Baba's conditions are, sort it out or I'll eat you. Mm -hmm. But really, we know this is the test is sure. like the the threat of, but it's she's this is where her sense of humor comes in and and if anyone's experienced her sense of humor directly they know exactly what i mean she's she's hilarious and terrifying at the same time and so vasilisa's task is fulfilled using the spirit of her dead mother through a doll which baba is completely aware of but Vasilisa doesn't give up that truth. She doesn't give up that knowledge because that's her own bloodline wisdom. And then Baba is the bigger archetypal mother. And so Vasilisa is the golden child as the soul of the world, as the unprocessed being, passes the test, but she is also initiated at the same time. And she's given the fire to return back to the people that requested it of her. Only the fire is their destruction. They all burn up immediately in the face of this, this flaming skull. But Vasilisa can hold it. She's not affected by it because Vasilisa has paid respect to her training, to her, the reverence of this terrifying witch who she calls grandmother. Mm -hmm. And then my ending of the story, my retelling is that as, as the flames burn up the awful earthly family, Vasilisa doesn't go back into the house. She's on the doorstep. She's on her threshold of, of uh, becoming herself as the maiden. And she turns around and she goes straight back down the forest path because she's, she's actually Baba's granddaughter the archetypal granddaughter she doesn't need to fit into the world that would like her to be 
anywhere other than there. And the, the idea that Baba's hut exists as a psychic space mm -hmm. has provided me with shelter mm. and continues to do so. And so my relationship with Baba, I've processed myself through Vasilisa, through this idea of this, the spiritualized dead mother, through the doll maker, through the alchemical soil and poppy seeds, the medicine, the poison, to Baba's hut where her rules are so ancient that so many people have forgotten. And the only story that is contemporarily like that is is narnia mm -hmm. is when aslan who and narnia is an enormous allegorical christ animistic story to, my favorite book as a kid and i found the book at my mom's house a little while ago and i thought i need to like i just remember that was one of the books you know and as a child i mean i know there was the film and everything but i read the book yeah the, the books all the yeah. books but the the, the line the witch in the wardrobe mm. is such a powerful lesson when aslan allows himself to be sacrificed because the witch in that story is is arrogant and ignorant and she perceives she's all powerful because her acolytes tell yeah. her she is yeah. but she doesn't understand the contracts of the magic that she is actually professing to be in control of and so you have to go to the deepest well of magic and the and the, the deepest furthest remembrances of how that magic works to be worthy of it mm. not in an egotistical way but in it's your inheritance you know imagine when i talk when i i when i speak with you always i mean this today it's recorded it's always there's so many points of synchronicity and poetry and magic and I mean I'm really so grateful that we're sitting today and that we're following both of us our intuition because as I said at the beginning I had other intentions for this episode at the timing but I really am I listen and there's some things that you share that I think are worth highlighting because for people who you know may not understand symbolic language may not understand uh, you know, um, mythical language or don't even know some of these myths. I think there are some thing, key points that you are saying that I think I have uh, noticed and experienced as well. One of them is that it takes time, like being initiated in any, and I, because I see a lot online, you know, come and do a retreat and connect to the goddess of this and that. One, you don't choose, you, you don't choose anything. You surrender and say that you were open and then you receive when you the container you yourself emotionally physically are ready and it's not an easy thing in fact receiving at all it requires you to face your own shadows that's one thing that you really are i think expressing and a lot of the things that you've said it takes time it takes commitment um and Caitlin in the first episode of this podcast talks about this commitment like promising that every day you're going to sit there and not always knowing right what it is that you're going to find but you are committing to your relationship to her the big H. Um, the other thing that you I think also are highlighting that I think is important is that there's 
you know, to speak to that magic that you were just talking about, that's there too. It's, um, it's not, let me find my words, but magic isn't something that we, uh, that we own. Like power is not something that we own. It's, it is a tool. It is something that is used and it is used for good even if the process of it requires us to burn down the world as we know it, right? To go back to the essence, to go back to that earth and that clay. Um, I think those are two things that I really want to highlight to people who are listening, because when we, you know, are exploring, when people listen to this and maybe you're exploring, oh, what is, what is the uh, goddess? Oh yeah, and there's a third thing, because there's always three, is that, and this in your own experience, I think embody this so beautifully, Often I say to people when I speak to them or when, when in, in all the ways that I do this, don't listen to what we're saying. Go listen to yourself. Go do research on your own mother and grandmother because our intuition comes from that lineage and sit with the discomfort that their voices, there's at some point, there's going to be in that story pain. Either you were part of a lineage that inflicted pain or was in pain and to rehabilitate that is to own that power and to connect to that intuition but only in accepting what we see and find in that research and that takes time because often i don't know if there are any people in the world that know exactly where they come from and what happened and you know uh, in my own story i my great-grandmother there's this huge mystery and I am convinced I know that my keys lay with her I know that my gifts lay with her and I'm convinced that the fact that we don't know anything about her that she was hidden in the way that you describe so many you know your own story but also of the story um, is part of that process like uncovering what is hidden that I may ne never be able to retrieve you know consciously but intuitively may be able to retrieve or in ways of but it requires time and it requires accepting that that isn't a you know a happy story hidden things that are hidden not uh hidden they're only hidden because we either protect them or because they are not acceptable right yeah um, yeah so i know we're still talking but i think it's really important to highlight those things because it feels so pop culture-ish, you know, now it's Scorpio season, season of the witch. Um, witches are, you know, are scary, even when they're beautiful, wonderful, good witches, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, uh, and they'll haunt you till you listen to them and do what they ask of you. Yeah. So I, and also, I mean, this is something else, but I often say to people, I don't do magic, you know, I'm a kitchen green witch so i i do magic in my everyday it's in the way i make my tea it's the way i commune with trees like that for me is magic but also because i know and i think this comes from my own history and lineage when we when we think that we have power over magic is when we get burnt quite literally mm -hmm. and so we need to respect that this is sacred and that we there's a lot of things like in protection magic i often say to people well have you deleted the phone number before you start thinking of whether you should hex the person? <laughs> because mm. you're gonna hex yourself too. Like this is how it works. We're, as you said at the beginning, interconnected, right? Mm. So, yeah, so powerful. 
yeah I think it's really you know a good dose of um spiritual etiquette um has been you know in it what needs to be it needs to be remembered but it, it it's common sense also and I think yeah you're right you know the age of social media and performative spirituality um mm. is is very toxic you know the the idea that you can um you know trademark or brand or sell you know it's, it's hard to communicate sometimes but um as a how do I describe myself you know I, I sometimes say I just have like sort of my little toe is in this realm and the rest of me is very happily in the other place and I appreciate that's not everybody's experience but if I if I don't want to bypass um, processing out any idea of spiritual ego my duty of care is to say to people when you start on that path or if it's a conscious thought or if it comes to you or if all your friends are doing it or if it seems like a good idea at the time I'm not here to, to judge anybody's route into self-development and, and communicating um, with with their you know manifest archetypes however they come but it's sometimes so difficult that there needs there needs to be an awareness of what you're asking mm. any magical work comes with an exchange what's going to happen when something gets out of your control with the best will in the world like an, an internet uh coven or any you know iteration are they going to have your back you know like I, I do believe in solitary process I do believe in walking a solitary path alongside people and for moments with people but ultimately this is your relationship mm -hmm. with your soul and that that is a very high stakes realm and I guess I just want to be cautionary in in as much as yes the rewards are there the gifts are there the, the self actualization and, and and downloading your wisdom but also it's not linear so mm -hmm. so we have earth time linear time uh time over there it spirals it loops it goes backwards and forwards it goes up and down or sometimes all at the same time and therefore the linear nature of this world and the non-linear nature of that world and our interface because we are spiritual beings having you know an embodied experience can get very topsy-turvy very quickly so always at your own pace and always listening for the change of direction um and there is no end to that it, you know you don't reach a place of like now i am all knowing and i can teach you know i i teach my weaving because that's a safe vehicle for teaching craft and deeper spiritual truth but to teach deeper spiritual truth on its own requires the full 
uh, awareness, permission and support of the spirit world. Mm. Now, that relationship can take a lifetime to develop. It's a reason why older women, uh, crone women are are wise. Because they've seen it all. They've seen enough. And I'm, you know, starting the process. I am. I am a crone. Yeah, I'm a young crone, whatever that means. <laughs> Beautiful, um, because, you know, these are stories of becoming and, and you were just saying it's, a, it's the path, it's your soul path. And yes, we need, um, you know, we need others. We need teachers, we need cheerleaders, we need, you know, we need all the things, but essentially it's our own path, right? And listening to our own voice. Um, and in these stories of becoming also, I, my wish is to show the diversity of what that looks like. And also to kind of, in this case, for example, we're talking about crone energy, wisdom, the Baba Gaya, and you embodying that through your work with her and also your own personal experiences of healing. I find it, you know, fascinating that you are young. I mean, like we're what, about the same age, right? And I will be 40 next year. Sorry. So I'm a little older even. So, you know, but like, so crone energy, I think requires different things like the hormonal transition, the experience, like, well, how do you connect with that archetype? So the very ancient um, Vedic triple goddess, um, you know, the white, the red and the black is Sarasvati, or in the Celtic tradition, she would be the maiden. Um, Lakshmi, uh, who is the mother, and uh, Kalima, who is the crone. And if we can understand that Abrahamic faiths come from the Vedic, and then we have the Celtic overlay, then we're talking about the same energies just with different imagery. And I, and I believe in um, comparative religion to get to the deeper spiritual truth, which is the, the same. So um, many times in my life, I've been invited into different formal organizations on many different spiritual uh, platforms since I was very young. And I have turned them all down because my solo journey has provided me with the, I've, re- I've read a lot of um, sacred literature. I've done comparative Bible studies. I'm not attached to a religious identity, but I am a, a spiritual pilgrim. And that allows me um, space to sit with the um, avatars of these beings and, and how they are translated to us and see, see the connections. And I, and I encourage people to do that. Um, reading the book of Revelation and Lord of the Rings is a wonderful experience to compare the two. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just, you know, there's many ways to educate yourself spiritually. So uh, Abraham and Sarah in the Hebrew tradition is an is a overlay of Brahma and Saraswati. So, so we have the father and the mother, mother of a nation. Um, because Romani people come out of India, we have our Vedic roots. So we are a rooted uh, Hindu diaspora. Mm-hmm. And 
through language and the caravan and and just the, the nature of the passage of time um saraswati has become saint sarah who is a catholicized black saint and i'll talk to you a bit more about the story of how she became that way in, you know in, in the french canon um lakshmi is actually pronounced Lakshmi. And the whole Roma tradition is about luck and good luck and bringing in luck and the color red. So we have the mother uh, energy there as well, the maiden mother birthing. Um, and then we have um, Kalima, who is the black mother. She is black in skin tone and our people have become light-skinned especially the, the British Romani people through just the passage of time and, and intermarriage but um you know traditionally dark skin but we have something is it really interesting you ask about this because at the conference I was at on Monday called sites of inclusion someone very purposefully asked will you talk about blackness a lot as Romani people but you're not black-skinned but we we talk about spiritual blackness it comes from Kali and we have something that we all know to be the black blood, the Kali Rati. And so Kali is our word for black. It's also the word for Kali Ma. Our language, because, because it's an oral tradition, has basically held the um, symbolism. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about Black Sarah as, black, as our black mother, um, we know what we mean. We're not objectifying ourselves as black although some of our people are dark-skinned my twin brother is much much darker than me but it's not really about that it's about spiritual belonging cultural mothering spiritual wisdom blackness as not as a negative not as a negative thought projection but as a rich space of self uh, understanding and then when we overlay the triple goddess with the celtic canon uh, maiden mother crone the wheel of the year you know our, our symbol system is the wheel chakra the, the wheel that goes around the sun we we have that in in built capacity so so saint sarah is really cali but but you see the crone contains all the three in one because she is the self-actualized woman in the in the spiritual sense. Um, you don't get to be Kali unless you've been yeah, Saraswati right. and Lakshmi before. Um, because you need all that learning to, to be granted the permission to go through that threshold. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Now you, uh, you and I, re well, recently, I want to talk about how your art relates to this, because I discovered your spiritual sense after discovering your art. Uh, although I, as I've always told you, I experience your uh, artwork. Uh, and you know, when you describe your process with Baba Gaya, I realize it's infused in it, right? So like, I have always experienced it as a spiritual thing. There's always this energetics to your work. Uh, that is also the the threads that you use are very dark 
you know, there was some clearer threads at the beginning, but it, it always was very earth colored, the brown, the dark. Um, so your artwork is very spiritual and I feel like over time it's become increasingly so as you have owned your own voice. But recently you have this beautiful piece that I would like you to describe for those who can't you know, see it. Uh, because it's called it's called the tent of Sarah, right? Is it's it? called Black Tent, Black Sarah. Right. Can you describe a little bit the process of creation of that piece? Because I think that it will, in other words, you know, with other words, describe this energy that you're describing, and then we can talk about the myth and how it connects with my own research into goddess Isis and yeah. those as well. Yeah. So, so Black Tent, Black Sarah was my National Arts Commission for a Romani Cultural and Arts Company. So it's the first artwork that I've made where I'm making it from an ethnic cultural space. And it was a real labor. Like I processed so much just during the making of it. And I hand blended and hand wove and hand spun all this tonal black wool, natural, naturally occurring black wool, which is, as we know, a very rich brown. It's not, you know, void black. So it has it has warmth to it. And it was about me connecting with Sarah Kelly. Um, so, so I'll explain this. So our Romanist saint is Sarah La Kelly, who is Saraswati Lakshmi Kalima, but she presents as Kali. She presents as black, mm -hmm. as a dark-skinned saint. And um, when uh, Mary Magdalene left um, the Holy Land with um, the Marys of the Sea, so Mary Salome, Mary um, Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene as the triple, again, another triple set of Marys, and Mary being Matra, mother. Um, and Matra also in, in Vedic is a, a unit of measurement in a spiritual sense. So I find that quite interesting as well, this idea of measuring, portioning souls. Um, so they landed after the crucifixion on the coast of French Gaul. And some myths say Mary is pregnant with the princess who will be Sarah, who Sarah means princess in Hebrew. Or the... Um, more acceptable, less heretical myth is that there was a dark-skinned Egyptian girl called Sarah who was like their maid or their helper who traveled with them and stayed with them. So she becomes part of the Holy Family either as the daughter or as the helper of, of a exiled bride. When, when we think about that, we can think about the exiled goddess and specifically the, the work of Anne Baring who is a, a living treasure and her book, uh, Dream of the Cosmos and Myth of the Goddess should be yeah, essential reading to everybody. And she, she studies black Madonnas from an alchemical point of view. So uh, she's been an incredible teacher to me in that regard as well, because I see it very clearly. So mm -hmm. my mom also being Sarah and her grandmother being Sarah, because in the Romani lineage, the name Sarah follows you know it's it's um part of our uh intangible cultural heritage so i'm talking in this artwork 
to and about my mother, mm-hmm. to and about my spiritual mother, who is the greater, darker mother, mm-hmm. who is Baba Yaga come to me in a different form, in a cultural thought form, in an in a ethno, ethno um, spiritual uh, archetype. And also as my own self, as a mother who has gone through menopause and a young mother, um, this work kind of became a a tabernacle, a temple to processing the darkness within the divine feminine and finding that it is vast and warm and beautiful and that it provides shelter. And that we can kind of take away this idea of like uh, hyper objectification of Lilith um, and her energy is sort of being this sort of devil woman. Mm-hmm. We can sort of sit with her as, as a sort of woman to woman and, and just be with her darkness and understand that it provides something very special. You know, the spirit we talked about earlier, like the spiritual movement at the moment. And I think, it was a lot of um, this, I'm, I guess I'm speaking more to the 90s iteration, but, you know, love and light, love and peace, love and, you know, happy clappy. And it's like my my reason for staying away from a lot of, of invitations was into spiritual groups and into circles is that I, my primary experience of the Divine Mother is darkness mm-hmm. and the bypass is only half the lesson. And I wasn't prepared to encounter that. And I wasn't mature enough or old enough to be able to say what I'm saying now. And that only comes with age. So the respect you have to show to the dark goddess has nothing to do with taking anything from her, but it's all to do with if she's going to give you something and you need to be ready for that. Um, that's kind of yeah where I'm at sit with that today that's where I'm, I'm in receipt of what she deems me to be worthy of knowing that I have stood in her darkness in a shadow um with faith and I don't mean a religious faith but I mean the faith of a lost human down here who who knows there must be a way out of this labyrinth and, and that is kind of where I find myself. So I hope that the artwork conveys some of what I just shared because it, it's all in there. Um, what is, I mean, uh, as a spectator, I had come across, well, the moment you created the work and put it out, I had just come across um, a piece on, I mean, I think I was studying Lilith, you know, or I read her because she's present in the astrology as well. And usually in people's charts, she represents what is hidden, but hidden from ourselves, like it's the part that we owned. And, uh, and also where there's pain, because I think often when we, you know, hear of Lilith, we think of this devil woman who eats children, a bit like in the story that you were describing where she, although she's the one who's gonna sort your unwanted children you know what I mean but um, she has a lot of anger and pain for not having been heard because she was the primal breath before Adam you know and so she's hurt by God for not having 
honored her really you know but um yeah in the in the piece that you created i was i was studying and reading and reading about mary magdalene and some legends or stories that evoke that she had been a disciple or had studied the mysteries of the goddess isis who was in egypt and it's interesting because the whole you know sarah is an indo-egyptian character that moves right from this area and the names and the references i mean you know them so much better than i do i have a problem with remembering names but uh in one of these stories she had studied you know the the mysteries of isis and practiced and it is said that she taught jesus how to transcend this human experience of life uh and you know move through the other worlds and back. Um, and so she helped him as this maternal, you know, not maternal feminine energy, she helped him do that. And so he, you know, um, they had this very strong bond and it was when he died that then, and you know, she, she saw him resurrect that she took that boat with the Marys and crossed the world to arrive at Sainte Marie, uh, Sainte Marie de la Mer. And in that piece that I was reading, they were describing how Sarah had put the cloak down. So there was like two versions of the story, but they put the cloak down so that they could walk, these Marys could walk from the ship that had brought them from, you know, Egypt, India, the Holy Land, onto the land of France where they would go and be safe and hide and Mary Magdalene would go into her um, grotta, right? Or it was she put the cloak down and they floated on this cloak, Sarah's cloak. So I remember asking you, like, is that why you called it Sarah? Like, is that the, you know, is that the myth? And how I thought it was so beautiful that these things were so interconnected, both in story, but also in experience between you and I and between these different stories of feminine um, power and beingness, right? Um, yeah, just the, the mystery of it all is so beautiful. Mm. But so do you think that today your art is a vehicle for you to embody that experience, you know, human experience, but also a way for you to use your voice? Like, is that the, the voice or is it, do you think that voice is also through speaking? Yeah, I'm just, I'm really with that image of the cloak of Sarah and um, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I actually didn't know that version of the story, although I am familiar with the, the St. Bridget's cloak story. So it's an interesting symbol. Um, but I did know through studying and bearing that um, Mary Magdalene was a priestess and she would have worn a black robe. So it's quite an interesting symbol in and of itself. Um, yes, voice. So I think part of my journey has been to try and find a medium that allows me to effectively communicate my experience. And that is primarily, you know, a spiritual experience on earth and, and all these thresholds and transitions. And my voice 
seems to, as I work through new bodies of work after Gypsy Maker, it seems to be less about me actually speaking and much more about the work actually resonating. And that has a lot to do with that um, healing space of um, process, the process of creating the work, fully embodied, fully focused, creating the work and infusing it. Because, you know, if I'm speaking in my highest state, my hands are being used by a force greater than me to make the work. And I, I stand by that. It's, it comes through me and I process myself with it. It's very permission giving. But then when, I, when that has finished, when, when I have finished the making, I have to then allow that work to be separate from me. And then I can reflect on what's come through and what it might be communicating to me. So on one level, yes, it's me communicating to myself. But on the bigger level, it's, it's the spiritual muses and the spiritual forces that have wanted to use me to create this for them. And then they teach me the lesson. And then the third thing is the collective, you know, how someone that isn't me experiences the work and how they read it um, is their very personal experience and it also is a marker of where they are on their journey like a folk story you hear when you're a young woman you hear the same folk story after you've given birth and you hear the parts of it that your soul couldn't hear because you hadn't had the tangent experience to then hear the things and you can't know that until you've been through that process same with being a crone there's things that you know and see in the world now that I in my mothering which is you know is ongoing but as a, as a sort of archetypal mother was a very short period of time only six years um that I know now having gone through menopause and looking back on that version of myself and then the earlier version of myself so the artwork is a way for me to give these deep forces a actualized form. And it's a form of language. You know, we talk about voice, but we also talk about language. In Romani uh, tradition, we have a, 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 a ethno-specific word called patron. And patron is when you leave, um, purposefully leave, leaves or twigs or flowers as markers to other Romani people so that they can glean a message but it's also a deeper you know reading and this is where it comes into sort of more nomadic indigenous spaces of reading the weather reading animals um, you know reading nature as as a way that it is communicating to you which is on many spiritual paths um, that are earth practicing and earth practicing cultures you are in communication with your environment at all times and the spiritual aspect of that isn't separate so patron can be literal um, organic language it can be a spiritual um, overlay of communicating with the natural world and reading the signs literally reading signs and portents in the weather mm -hmm. um, and the movement of of animals 
And then also it can be a visual language that is implicit in the artwork, but the, my artwork is not figurative. Mm -hmm. It's textural, it's, it's got depth and, and texture and tone, tonality, voice and tone, but it's not figurative. I think Black Tent, Black Sarah was, was yes, it's a figurative arc, it's an arch, it's, it's a bender tent, it's a horseshoe, but it's also a void space. It's also a space that you can threshold and enter and move into or out of. Um, and the texture of it is vibrating. The texture is all there is. It's, it's the, the net of being. It's, it's the, the texture of the material of the universe. And this is when we go back to alchemy and primal matter, prima materia. Um, so my new works, which I've, I've called the Patreon Tapestries, which are painted into, um, again, they're not figurative and yet they stand, they're very big. And, and everyone that has encountered them so far in physicality has said, you know, they're like beings, they're like people, they hold an energy. Well, that's because of the spirit in which I've made them. Isn't my artistic ego, it is my spiritual duty to be a translator. Perhaps a translation is a good um, metaphor. Mm -hmm. Now, how do, you, um, how do you connect to your intuition? Because as you know, I'm sure people have gleaned, you have read a lot, you've studied a lot, you've experienced a lot, you have done a lot, you have you know, embodied a lot. Like there's so many layers to your experience but how do you connect are there specific tools or things that you do today to connect to that part of yourself so this is where my experience of embodiment means that I have to think about how to communicate this because so my intuitive nature is my nature it is it is my it's who you uh, are. It's me, yeah. So I, I, it took me a very long time to understand that not everybody feels and experiences the world this deeply or not deeply, but in this way where in, instinct and intuition are primary filters. Um, they're immediate. So I don't comp compartmentalise my experience Um I'm open. Um, I find that I can perceive um, best in the world when I'm open to all of the different layers of communication in the world. And I'm a very emotional communicator. Um, I also have a sort of um, perspective view that happens in, in instantaneously where I can sort of see multiple view, viewpoints at the same time. And therefore my viewpoint is only one of those viewpoints. And yet my, my personal needs and desires are sort of secondary. I, I'm a bit of a collective I'm a bit, I mean, this may be a negative thing, but I'm a bit too integrated in the collective. Mm -hmm. So I often um, perceive things collectively and 
these multiple viewpoints and and when I say viewpoints it's not automatically that I'm thinking um people are co cognizing things like um in a logical way I'm actually perceiving people's emotion and action like action out of emotion in multiple ways because my I'm a very em empathetic person so I'm um I'm always surprised when I meet people who are lacking empathy and I find that often I'm on the receiving end of people's empathetic blockages. I can't mm -hmm. say why someone isn't empathetically open where, where I am other than it's my nature. Um, so I think people's blocks to intuition and acting from that place is perhaps um, the idea that something is going to be taken from them and, and they're in a, in a state of um, selfish self-defense. And I'm not saying that I haven't been wounded by being so empathetically open because I have, unfortunately, and yet I wouldn't want to change my um, nature because the world is showing me it's not the, the open hearted place, which is why my spiritual world is so rich, because I understand that that's where we come from and that's where we return to. And that's that's where my sort of peace of mind comes from. It doesn't stop me from trying my best here. To, to engage as a very sensitive person and spiritual person uh do you need and also you know i'm thinking just even astrologically with all that pisces and cancer do you need alone time do you need quiet time do you need time with nature like those are very basic things but when people ask me like how do i connect to my intuition mm. you know, for me those are things that one needs to do but even more so when you're and you know highly sensitive or like is that something like how do you nurture your intuition on a day-to-day -day so that you you can tap in like what is tapping in or connecting looks like to you so when i'm when i'm um when i'm in a space where i can receive my intuition in the way that I would like to, because it's always coming in, but the external stresses are really, really um, difficult to then uh, boundary and, and keep at bay. So, and this is very recent in my life, you know, really this year, I have had alone space, I have had alone time. Um, and that's allowed this new work to come through. So if, if the proof of the pudding is in the eating, alone time sitting and looking at nature if you can't be out in nature for whatever reason but if you can see a tree you know that tree is going to allow that freedom to to kind of well up and then it's what you do with that um space you you allow to kind of if your inner space is quite vast and your outer space is constrictive you're going to be feeling really uh, stressed a lot of the time. And I, I say that as a mom with young children, uh, with a house full of technology, all of these things are like not conducive to an, exp 
uh, spiritual intuitive expansion and, and internal listening mm-hmm. so peace quiet calm natural daylight lots of hot drinks lots of tea and really good sleep because mm-hmm. a lot of my conversations um in my inner world happen on that threshold of sleep mm-hmm. and and I need a lot of sleep so it sounds basic you're right like you know the things that we give ourselves but the world isn't set up for those things to be made primary especially if you're a mom and so setting that boundary with yourself and not delaying it for like days or years or decades or for the end of your life but for today really taking that space and some days it's a battle to take that space Mm. a literal battle and then some days it happens so beautifully that you think why can't every day be like this but that's the reason we're down here it's not it's not linear (laughs) not in that realm anyway thank you that's lovely because I mean I've witnessed you and it's very seamless and it's true you know um you said to me before like I I need a I need to sleep or I'm feeling really emotional to like you verbalize energetics very beautifully you know uh I think everything that you've read also nurtures that language it's so rich in, in your ancestry as well I think it's very apparent when you speak I mean I'm sure people are taking avid notes and there'll be notes in the show notes where they can go and check out all the things you've mentioned um I could sit here literally all day with you <laughs> you have art to make and teas to drink um I want to ask you one final question because goddess Isis asked you know for us to speak our truth in this moment today right now it might be different tomorrow if you tap in what is your truth beautiful emojin oh what a beautiful question thank you Sarah my truth that I give myself permission to be free. And in that place, understand that I am literally woven into the the times we are in. yeah to find peace with that thank you thank you Sarah (laughs) so I hope that those who listen to us uh, feel inspired to get curious and uncomfortable and you know go visit their there's scary parts and the different uh, parts and also inspired that the crone can be a young experience and um, and a very empowering one. Um, can you just tell people where they can find you, where they can connect with you? Uh, where, what are the ways in this digital world and physical world that they can 
meet you and continue listening to your beautiful voice. Thank you. Um, so I have a, a website blog, which is um, www.brightmoon.co. And I am on Instagram as imogen.bright.moon. Um, and I have a web shop as well, which has, um, it's where I, I have some books. I have a book actually at the printers right now about Black Tent Black Sarah. Um, and that's um, brightmoonweaving.com. And yeah, I'm always happy to hear from people. Um, so drop me a message and I'm sure you and I will pick up the conversation quite soon. <laughs> Thank you so, so much. Enjoy this time, this day. Sending you so much love to you and to all those that listen in. Thank you, Sarah. Lots of love. Thank you for having listened to this episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. I hope also that you weren't too distracted by the technical issues with my microphone. This too is part of the learning curve of making this podcast. But really mostly, I hope that you can leave uh, listening this conversation with the gifts that Imogen so generously offered. One is this invitation to connect to the power of story, to go perhaps reread that book that you loved when you were a child, or go and find that one that has been nudging at your curiosity and trust that in the reading or rereading of these stories, you will discover characters, heroes that have wisdom for you at this time, that they can speak to your own hero within. I also hope that it has inspired you to honor your ancestors, which is so appropriate in the season of Scorpio, in this time of Samhain. If you have elders that are around, to go and sit with them, listen to them, to ask them the questions you may regret if you don't ask. And if you don't have any elders around still, to honor them by way of maybe making their favorite meal or speaking of them, or simply lighting a candle and inviting them to connect with you. Honoring what they have passed down and honoring what you want to keep of that relationship. And then finally, I hope that wherever you are in your you know, journey of this life, whatever age you're in, whatever stage you're in, whatever role you've given yourself or society has labeled you as, that Imogen's very generous um, sharing has inspired you to Acknowledge that in the quiet, in the transformation, the facing of our own darkness, we transmute any pain, even the ancestral pain, into power. That we, as she so beautifully described, alchemize this experience to find the gold. And I hope that you are reminded that that gold, the magic, is you. So till we meet again in this online space, be well and take care of your beautiful soul and hearts.